baby, you are gonna go broke showing turkeys like these. It's turkey time. Come on, come on. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Let's Talk Turkeys. I'm your host, Movie Miss, and this is part two of our two-part episode covering the non-turkey Drive-In Dave's birthday pick, Beverly Hills Cop, starring Eddie Murphy. We are going to jump right in. Last, we left Axel and Jenny seeing the nefarious-looking henchmen taking the Deutschmark bearer bonds from that warehouse and in a van and off they went. So they jumped into their car to make chase. And now let's get right back into the episode. So Rosewood and Taggart are back at the station and they get shit from Bogomil who chews them out and says that if they lose Axel again, don't bother coming back in. And then other officers are giving him shit about the banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> what the fucking glasses with the banana nose? <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. So Jenny and Axel follow this van to another warehouse where they keep shipping items, I guess, before they can clear customs. Axel tells Jenny, go home. I'm going to stick around and check it out. And of course, she doesn't want to go. And she says, look, I'm not bailing you out again. He's like, no, it's it's fine. Just go. I don't want you to get in trouble, which I appreciated. So Axel starts snooping around. He gets caught by a security guard and he immediately goes into the quick thinking mode. It's one of these character traits of Axel Foley that I really love. He's so quick on his feet. And then when you think about, like you said earlier, you know, his history of being a criminal. That's probably why he can think so fast like this. So he immediately takes charge and says to the security guard, before the security guard can say anything to him, uh, we have a problem. And he flashes his badge and he's like, go get your supervisor. <laughs> and the guy buys it. And then in the meantime, we see Rosewood and Taggart sitting at the hotel waiting for Axel to show up. So they're just chilling, waiting. So back at the warehouse, the supervisor comes out with the security guard. And this is Rick Overton, the comedian. And he looked so different. He was so skinny here. I didn't realize it was him till I looked up the credits. Yeah, I didn't even recognize him. I think that's his name. I know Overton's the last name. Okay, anyway, moving on. So he tells them, my name's Inspector Rafferty from the United States Customs Service. And I want to know if all this stuff has passed through customs already. And I immediately in my mind was like, well, wouldn't you know that <laughs> if this is your job? The supervisor looks perplexed. But he goes, well, no, this is the bonded area. So no, it hasn't. Axel again, using the race card, <laughs> says, well, how does a black man dressed like me march into your warehouse, walk right into the bonded area and start poking around without this guy asking me any questions? And like the security guard's totally getting in trouble right now. It's smart, though. It's smart because he immediately stops them from questioning him and he puts them on the defensive which is it's, such a smart tactic it's very clever i, I mean uh I, I love the part with coming up like after that where he does the whole black man coming into the bonded area and he mentions how he's like there's like yeah this man gave me a match and the the, the boss looks at him he's like you gave him a match what i, I don't know <laughs> It's like all three of them were just playing off of each other so well in this scene that <laughs> was so funny so then Axel takes more charge and yanks their badges off and says, you know, somebody's going to lose their job over this and you guys are going to be in trouble. And 
We're going to be here all night checking all of these crates and all of their information, starting with this one right here. And he smacks the one that he's sitting on, and it happens to be the one from the gallery. <laughs> he's so fucking clever. So now we get another scene of Taggart and Rosewood sitting in the car, still waiting for Axel. Rosewood is reading like a statistic from the newspaper about red oh. meat or something to Taggart. Yes. And he's like, Taggart's all, why do you think I have any interest in what, you, what you're saying or whatever? And it's so funny to me. Uh, okay. I don't know if you, if you looked this up. This was how they got the job was the ta the casting director put a bunch of different people together in pairs and would have them read. And so uh, John Aston and Judge Reinhold got together and were supposed to play a married couple. And so this is what they did. They had, he picked up, Reinhold picked up the, the magazine, started reading the red meat being caught in your, uh, stuck in your colon for five years. And they basically ad-libbed this entire scene. And then it makes it into the movie because apparently they just loved it so much. Now, see, this is the thing I did see in the casting special. The casting director said that when she had them together, she really thought of them as like a Laurel and Hardy. And I totally see it now that she said that. Yes. Rosewood is a goof and Taggart is just the straight man. And it's perfect chemistry. Perfect. It really was. Like, it's an, it's another one where you would like to see a buddy cop movie with these two because they're just, right. they were so good together. So back at the warehouse, Axel has a bunch of people digging up all kinds of paperwork in the office. And then this one little guy, this one little squirrely guy starts asking him, hey, don't you need a warrant for something like this? And Axel immediately goes on this rant about, I bet that's your Porsche outside. The IRS would really like to know about that. And he starts going on this rant attacking this little guy. Oh, my God. So then we go back now to Rosewood and Taggart. And he's getting on Taggart for all the coffee that he drinks. And he's like, this is probably why you have a hard time relaxing. <laughs> and Taggart's just looking at him with this dumbfounded straight face. And I just cracked up because I thought to myself, I wonder how many takes that took. Because you know they had to bust out laughing because there's a pause when Rosewood says that coffee line and he's just staring at him. You know that they, they busted out laughing like a bunch of times. They had to. This is a movie that you really need to release if it's if it still exists, the outtakes like them cracking up because that like I, you could watch two hours of just them ad living and busting up on each other. It yes. just be so much fun to say. So then when they're having this conversation, Axel sneaks up behind the back of the car because he sees them and he opens the back door and just jumps in and starts laughing. We get more laughing and he scares the crap out of them. It's so cute. Axel apologizes for the banana in the tailpipe and says that he wishes he could have seen the look on their faces when their car conked out. I'm no mechanic, but I did think that's bullshit and that's why I asked my husband. But when I was watching this, I was he wasn't watching it with me. So in my mind, though, I went, that doesn't seem right. So I'm glad that it was confirmed, like Mythbusters blew that out of the water, like that's bullshit. <laughs> yes, because we all know that whenever this gets into your head, you know, factual things that don't quite add up to the facts. It sits on there and you can't sleep at night. You're just up all right? night pacing back and forth. Wait a second, this doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> so he laughs at his own joke. So we get another laugh. And then he gets a serious face because Taggart says, yeah, uh, the lieutenant docked us two days pay for that. That is some serious punishment and by the book stuff. And so Axel feels bad. Rosewood thanks Axel for the sandwiches. <laughs> 
But Axel says that part wasn't a joke. I meant it from the heart because as a fellow cop, I know what it's like to be on a stakeout. Taggart, though, immediately calls bullshit. And I'm like, eh, I'm kind of with Taggart on this one. You knew what you were doing. Yeah. Like, but there, I mean, like, may, maybe deep down inside, there was a little bit of sympathy and like, oh, I'm going to give him some food. Even then, it's like you kind of figure as a fellow cop, he'd be like, no, I'll send down some pizza or something like that. So Axel claps back with, well, why are we always arguing? We should be working together. And as a nice gesture, they should they should help each other out. But but he says, you know, we don't want to get involved in whatever you're involved in, which is smart. But Axel says, look, let's just go get a drink and just be friends. Taggart says, we don't drink on duty. And Axel says, fine. But if you're going to try and follow me, I'm going to lose you anyway. So you might as well just come with me to this place. It's super conservative. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Famous last words, right? Because <laughs> then we cut to the scene, which I'm guessing makes this movie your favorite movie. <laughs> okay. Obviously, I've developed a reputation for myself that the second titties show up, I become excited. This is not my favorite scene in the movie. My favorite scene in the movie is coming up. This is the scene that shocked me. It shocked me into masturbating. It was crazy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so they go inside a strip club and this is where I wrote in my notes, this movie isn't shitty because there are definitely titties. <laughs> we get titties. They are dancing, a girl on a pole, topless with a little thong bottom on, dancing to Nasty Girl by Vanity Six, the perfect pole dancing song, by the way. The uh, the funny thing was that, uh, or not even funny thing, but interesting thing was that the stripper, that was a real stripper in the movie, she actually picked the song for the, the dance to and everything. So apparently they did a really good job of getting her, uh, which you could tell she, she was a real stripper because like you can tell when it's a movie stripper and they're just kind of like swaying back and forth. And you're like, all right, honey, I appreciate the enthusiasm, but you, you, you're just not doing anything for me. She was known no me Malone. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you get the real strippers out there and it's like, you know, they're bouncing up and down off the stage and they're just like, oh my Lord, like that. Yeah, you'll notice the real stripper didn't lick the pole. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the real stripper. They know stripper how nasty it is. <laughs> they know where that pole's been. So Axel laughs immediately as the girl dances with a boa all over Taggart. Rosewood looks like he's actually having a funny smirking and smiling. Taggart just looks super pissed off. <laughs> Axel orders a scotch and jokingly says the boys might like some light beers, but Taggart interrupts and says club soda for them because they're on duty. Good for you by the book, sir. So this next bit I love because this is the time when you really see Axel putting on his game face and he's being serious and he's being a good cop because these two guys come in from outside and he's super intuitive and spots that they're up to no good he can just tell they're wearing like trench coats and it's like 80 degree california weather and it doesn't seem right with him so he asks taggart to help him take these two guys down taggart at first doesn't want to believe him and like buy into but then he kind of agrees i like the exchange with the with the stare between the two of like almost like taggart is kind of sizing up the situation and like does he believe axel that was actually really good acting. And I, I like that part of like, it, it kind of established almost Taggart in that moment thinking, okay, this guy's actually a cop. Yeah, because up until now, it's been antics and shenanigans and bullshit. So now you're going to actually, they get to see him be a cop. 
so Rosewood has no idea what's going on. They're like, sit tight. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> so Taggart goes over to stand near one guy and Axel approaches the other guy who's sitting at the bar who looks real sketchy. I love this bit. Axel approaches him and he pretends to be drunk and he's yelling like he's calling the guy Phil, like he knows you. Phil, Phil, is that you? I knew it was you. And the guy's like, get away from me. Shut up. <laughs> just stop talking to me. Phil, why are you being like that? Phil. <laughs> he's like, get away from me. <laughs> But he does it so that he can get close enough to grab the gun from the guy. So Rosewood comes over. Uh, Taggart pulls his gun and gets the other guy because these guys have shotguns under their coats, which is why they had the coats on. And they foil whatever plan they had. So I like that Axel looks over at Taggart. And this is where we get that signature shot from the movie that's like everywhere where he smiles and he's holding his gun up and he does the OK fingers like we did it, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's like the signature shot everybody uses when they're promoting this movie. So that's when that happens. So then we cut now to the police station. Axel tries to give Taggart and Rosewood full credit for what happened at the club and makes up this whole big story about what he what really happened. And he's calling them super cops and tells them the only thing they're missing are capes. <laughs> and okay. it's this super hilarious bit. This is my favorite scene in the entire movie. And I oh, really? Wondered, yes, and I always wondered why it was my favorite scene in the entire movie. And then I read the backstory of this scene which you might know filming the police station scenes eddie was getting kind of tired and stuff like that and the crew kept offering him coffee but i guess he didn't want to drink or anything like that it wasn't like into caffeine or something i don't know what the story was behind that but eventually he did take a few sips and this is why he seems so hyped during this and so when he goes on this monologue of the super cops and like explaining everything if you look Taggart is holding the bridge of his nose and he's got his head down like he's just so frustrated. That right. is because that is because John Ashton is cracking up at the moment and he just he can't hold it in. And Judge Reinhold is trying so hard. They said he had to put his hand in his pocket and pinch his thigh to keep from laughing at what Murphy, at what Eddie Murphy was doing in the moment. So like you see them like essentially breaking character. And that's because they just like did not expect him to, to to go on this tirade like this. That's amazing. Yeah, they don't they don't laugh, but leave it to Taggart, Mister By the Book, who immediately says that's not what happened. He <laughs> total buzzkill. This is what actually happened. And Lieutenant Bogomil tells Axel, "We appreciate your assistance, but you need to stop practicing law enforcement until you go back to Detroit." <laughs> So Bogomil takes Rosewood and Taggart off of following Axel, which to me, it just seemed weird in the first place. Why aren't they just ignoring Axel and going on with their police business? Unless Axel gets arrested and brought in for something, why are you tailing it? Leave him alone. I mean, I guess we don't have a movie if they don't, but that seemed weird to me. Well, I'm going to take you guys off and I'm going to put you guys on. And he puts on Foster and McCabe. Now you guys have to tail Axel. Like, why is anybody tailing Axel? Didn't really make, I mean, I mean like, I, at this point, I can understand it because he's been causing trouble a few times. Like, after the strip club, you can see, like, okay, that would be the time to start tailing him. But even then, the strip club would not have happened if the tail wasn't on him. So, yeah, like, at this point, he got thrown through a window, like he said before. There's been no other incidents that they are currently aware of. So there should be no tail on Axel at all. Yep. You just, you just broke the movie. <laughs> my work here is done. Goodbye, folks. No. Um, <laughs> these are just things that go through my head. Even through good movies, I still question things. 
can't turn off the picking. Like no matter what, that, that bul the vulture side is going to come out and you're going to hover over the movie waiting for the corpse. <laughs> this is why we have the show, sir. Because I can't <laughs> shut this off. I might as well do something fucking productive with it. <laughs> <laughs> so the next morning, the waiter brings out a tray of coffee, donuts, and milk to the officers, Foster and McCabe, that are now tailing Axel. They don't take any of it because... Axel just pops right out and taps on the trunk and they're like, get out of the way. And he smiles and waves at them and hops in his car. So they follow him. So now Axel is standing at a large security gate of a beautiful looking compound, this house that gets used in a lot of movies. I didn't write down what the house is or other movies it's been in. But as soon as you see this, you're like, wow, yeah, it's been in a lot of movies. Yeah, it feels like you instantly, like, I almost feel like people driving by this house just know it as like, oh, well, that's the international drug lord, drug den, you know, supervillain house, because every, yes. every, every, like, famous villain has lived in there at some point in time. So Foster and McCabe roll up, they walk over to Axel, and they're like, we're not going to fall for that banana in the tailpipe bit. And then Axel, I have a clip of this as well, I have to put it in, because the way he says it, I can't do it justice. But he's doing a whole making fun of the way the other black man speaks and makes a joke that because he's paired with a white officer, he's st starting to sound a lot like the white officer. He's not talking black enough, which he can get away with it because he is a black man making the joke. So yeah, I'll, I'll include the bit so that everybody can hear it, but it's funny. It's, it's dated and kind of cringy, but it's super funny. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even say it's dated anymore because like I follow enough comedians that like there's still there's still quite a few black comedians that do bring it up. I want to say Dave Chappelle has done some some jokes on it. It's a standard, I guess you would say, in like black comedy of like they do bring it up a lot because it's such a classic joke. We're the first team. Yeah, we're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? <laughs> it should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. See, that's more natural for us. You've been hanging out with this dude too long. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just fucking with you. That's funny to me. Sorry. Well, they are definitely not amused by Axel at all. <laughs> and he can tell, and we get a follow up laugh from Axel at this bit. He laughs at his own bit. <laughs> So they establish this is Victor Maitland's house and Axel pops his trunk, pulls out a beer and tells the guy he's getting ready for a picnic. And they're like, yeah, it seems like you're more like on a stakeout. Just then a car comes out of Victor's driveway and starts to drive off. So Axel abruptly cuts the conversation short and closes his trunk, jumps back in the car and takes off. So obviously they're going to follow him because they yeah. know he's after Victor. Exactly. But, but am I the only one that sat there questioning, like, wait a second. Okay, you were going to drink on a stakeout on top of the fact you just pulled out a beer in a public place in front of two cops and said, hey, I'm going to drink. Right? <laughs> yeah, like that seems a little bit fishy to me like there. Like, okay, wait a second. Why, why didn't the cops do anything? They got bigger fish to fry. They're worried about what he's going to do after he drinks the beer. <laughs> and also, did you notice across the street, the car parked at Victor Maitland's on the street there? To me, I laughed because it looked like a DeLorean. I don't know no. what make or model this car is but i immediately went hey is that a delorean <laughs> no I, okay i gotta that's something i gotta go back and look for now because that's interesting yeah i mean i'm sure it's not but it just to me that's immediately what i thought of when i saw it if it was like it'd be cool if it actually was you know there's going to be some fan theories out there that will tie right. back to the future to beverly hills cop in some way <laughs> so they get to a stoplight 
by Victor's house. And that car purposely goes through right at the last second and the light's turning yellow. Axel stalls a second and then goes through it when it's red so that the cops won't follow him. But they try. Axel gets away. And of course, we get a nice big laugh because he's so pleased with himself that he pulled that stunt. I don't know why if they wanted a reason to bring him in that they didn't just give him a ticket for running a red light. That's exactly what I was thinking. He blatantly did something in front of the cops. So they could have got him on that because obviously they're, they're after him. They want to get him for something. So Victor now and his right-hand man, Zach, the bad guy, they roll up to this uber fancy looking restaurant. The valet takes the car and they go inside. And then Axel rolls up in his beater and makes a joke about his car. And the only thing I could think when I was watching this as the valet gets into Axel's car to go park it is I could never work as a valet because I would not want to get into other people's cars. You don't know what you're getting into. And so many things gross me out because I'm a clean freak. (laughs) So not only are we talking germs, we're talking food, debris, smokers, trash. Like you don't know what grosso kind of car you're gonna get into i could never do that as a job just sidebar (laughs) but i I feel like in that instance at that particular club you probably wouldn't have that problem because a lot of those people are like rich upper class little snooty so their their cars are probably well taken care of yeah the off chance you get like axel showing up and you're just like uh, okay yeah this this is (laughs) <laughs> this is, uh, I love the line that he uses when he pulls up, walks up to the valet and says, uh, can you put this in a good spot? Because all this shit happened the last time I parked here. <laughs> yeah, that is years of wear and tear, sir. That did not happen one time. But that's pretty funny when he says that. You're right. It's, I love that he just throws out these little like one liners and shit like that all the time. And it's, it's things that you want, like watching this movie, there's so much stuff that he does that I feel like the people watching it are like, I want to do that sometime. So Axel goes into the restaurant and tells the maitre d' or whoever this guy is at the pedestal there that he needs to talk to Victor Maitland and he can see him like in the restaurant. And he puts on this really super over the top effeminate accent to the way he's talking and purposely acting queer on, you can tell it's over the top. (laughs) And (laughs) it's a funny bit in the eighties that still is kind of funny today, honestly, Because you know it's so opposite of what he's really like. So you know he's putting on this shtick is what makes it funny to me. But he says he has to talk to Victor because it's very important. And the man's like, well, I'll just give him a message for you. And he starts going on this rant about how he has herpes simplex 10. (laughs) And his name is Ramon. And could you give that message to Victor? Because he should go to the doctor and get himself checked out. And the maitre d' gets super uncomfortable. He's like, "Uh, why don't you go tell him yourself? I think that I think that would be best, he says. <laughs> and I, I love how it's like it's not just he should get himself checked out. He should get himself checked out before shit starts falling off. <laughs> That's so over the top. And it, it's like it's like apparently once you get the herpes simplex ten. That's when it turns into basically like a, a like a rotting disease and like everything just starts falling <laughs> off of you. Ebola. <laughs> yes, I'm looking for Victor Maitland. Uh, you realize that this is a members-only club. Mm-hmm. But I have to talk to Victor. It's very, very important. Are you sure it's Victor Maitland you want? Oh yes, Victor Maitland, the gray-haired gentleman, very dark-skinned Capricorn. Victor. Um. Well, why don't you give me the message and I'll take it to him. Okay, I guess I can do that. Um, tell Victor that Ramon 
the fella he met about a week ago, tell him that um, Ramon went to the clinic today and I found out that I have um, herpes simplex 10. And I think Victor should go check himself out with his physician to make sure everything is fine before things start falling off on the man. Uh, perhaps you better tell him that. You know, I think that would be best. So do I. So Zach, the right-hand man here, jumps up as soon as Axel approaches their table and he immediately gets in Axel's face. Axel tells him to fuck off and he makes a move, but Axel throws him over the part of the food buffet table that's right near them, causing a huge disturbance, a big scene. And Axel just sits down next to Victor, who tells the other guy, back off. So Axel says to Victor something like he knows he isn't dirty, but he knows he's doing dirty stuff or something like that. And that he's involved in Mike's death and he's going to prove it and come and come for him and fuck him up. And of course, Victor denies everything and says Axel doesn't know who he's dealing with in that super sinister non-American accent, <laughs> whatever origin country he's supposed to be from. <laughs> I think I, see, I couldn't figure out. I, I wanted to say Germany. I, I think it's, it's like a German accent. I could not tell. But uh, yeah, like the way he says it is like so evil and you're just sitting there like, ooh, you evil motherfucker. So cops come in and of course they start to take Axel away. They cuff him and they're going to haul him out. And he says, you know, hey, Vic, I'll catch you later, <laughs> which kind of foreshadows, you know, how the movie's going to go. We know the, the bad guy loses. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, that's not a spoiler. Like anyone listening to this is like suddenly like, oh, my God, you just gave away the ending. It's like, OK, come on. We all knew. <laughs> So now we're back at the station. Axel comes in and there's Foster and McCabe sitting there and Axel jokes something about they look really familiar or something. I'm not sure what the joke was. I like that. What it is, is I end up liking the dumbfounded look on their faces because they were so cocky earlier that they were confident they weren't going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe. I mean, you know, they weren't going to let Axel trick them and ditch them, but he oh, managed yes. to, to do it. So I like that, you know, they look just dumbfounded that he was able to pull one over on them. So Lieutenant Bogomil comes out and immediately tells Axel he's becoming very irritating. <laughs> and he wants to know why he's bothering Victor Maitland. So what I enjoy about this scene is that Bogomil decides to take Foley seriously. He asks Axel to say, you know, tell him what's going on. And they listen as he tells them the truth about everything connected with Mikey and what he thinks is going on here in Beverly Hills, the warehouse, the whole shebang. And what do we do? Bogomil kind of tells Axel, um, because you didn't see any drugs, we don't have cause to get a warrant and really do anything about this. And we do stuff by the book here in Beverly Hills. So they say, you know, we can't really help you out. Sorry. But they get interrupted by the chief who is not happy. Bogomil's boss, he comes in and rattles off this laundry list, basically, of everything Axel's done since he's been here in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and then he hauls Bogomil into his office and chews him out and then leaves. <laughs> this guy, crab apple, man, he is not happy. The two things I want to bring up one, the media thing was I love how when they go into the office and then Axel's like imitating the guy, like picking on him, and they're like, Hey, you know, be quiet. Everything is like, What can you fucking hear me? And it between the white walls or something. And everyone in the area was like, Yes, <laughs> like they've <laughs> yes, all been caught doing it or something. <laughs> if that was ad lib, that was that was great. If that that was like one of those scenes that like they just did off the cusp, I love that. And I like. I thought what was interesting because I actually did not know this. Uh, I've watched this movie so many damn times that I thought it was fact that if you hid the drugs in 
coffee grounds that that was a legitimate thing, that the smell of the coffee would throw the scent off for the dogs. Apparently, that is not true. The dogs can still smell it through the coffee. Did you look that up? <laughs> uh, it, it was literally on when I did the IMDb research. Did not you do follow-up follow up research, though, and Google outside? Because IMDb is not trustworthy, really, as we'd have learned. I, I, I mean, I'll, I will look it up. So, like, later on down the road, you know, I will... I will correct myself if I'm wrong, but I okay. feel like there is some truth to that because it does seem like dogs are capable of getting multiple scents. Determining, I, I like, yeah, what's what. Yeah, I, I think like it's one of those things of like you can use the coffee to mask the scent if you have other things like covering the scent up. If it's well packaged or something, probably then it would work. I'm curious, actually. Um, when I worked at our local airport at the currency exchange, uh, there were dogs uh officers had brought in dogs to do they were testing uh, quizzing their dogs just to you know keep them sharp and test them out and make sure they're they're still doing what they need to do sniffing out the, the drugs and whatnot and so in my little booth in the lobby they wanted to come in and ask can we can we do one in here i said sure and they hit a little packet of drugs or whatever and the dog they wanted to see if the dog could sniff it out and sure enough yeah the dog was on top of it it was awesome how fast and it quick he found the drugs but it wasn't masked with anything. So I, that's my experience with that is never trying to hide it. Just seeing an actual dog doing the work though is really cool. It's real. I like that. That is something I really, I'd love to see them in action and I'd love to see like yeah. how that works. And like when they do mask the scent, how do they sniff it out? How do they figure it? Yeah. Now I'm wildly curious if that is true. Cause I just assumed it probably was, but I don't know. And just for my own shits and giggles, I really want to like go to an airport one day and like see see the guy smuggling like the cocaine that's like wrapped in condoms and shoved up his ass and just see the dog go right for his ass. I would just enjoy seeing that scene. So Bogomil comes out and tells Axel that they're not going to do a damn thing. Rosewood has to escort Axel to his hotel room, watch him pack, and then take him to the city limits where he will then give him his gun back. And he tells Axel... You're not welcome back in Beverly Hills. The charges against Axel will be dropped, but if he comes back, they will reinstate them and persecute him to the him to the full extent of the law. So it's pretty abrupt and harsh here. He pissed some people off. And to be honest, I'm more surprised it took this long for it to happen. Right. I do like, though, that Rosewood tries to stand up for him here. He kind of says, hey, look, he's onto something we should investigate. And Bogomil shuts it down. But at least he tried. So we cut now to Victor Maitland showing up at his gallery to talk to Jenny. So basically to see what the hell. She's terrible at lying. Did you notice this? <laughs> yeah, that that's like there could have been. And even like the fact that she could have been good enough to lie after of just been like, well, hey, you know, I was nervous because if you came in here accusing in a way and like I, I thought like your bodyguard makes me nervous. So that's why I was like stammering over myself. She could have done so much better. Yeah. She hesitates every time he asks her a question. She's like, oh, uh, Axel. Uh, yeah, he's like uh, a friend of mine uh, that I grew up with. And uh, he came to tell me that our friend Mikey got killed. And uh, it was like, really, bitch? Really? <laughs> that is so obvious. She was pretty bad. Like, I almost expected her to be like, the kind of valley girl thing and just go into the whole like like this and like oh <laughs> you know actually like my friend and he's like he's like a cop and oh God. <laughs> well victor's like when's the last time you saw him she's like uh yesterday and i i uh, haven't seen him since 
like, oh yeah, you're super convincing. <laughs> and what's great is that no one, anyone listening to this is not going to be able to see it, but you literally did the eye roll. And I think she did the eye roll as well. <laughs> I, I do. I roll them so hard. I can see my brain half the time. So it's super uncomfortable because he's just staring, you know, his his right hand man is there staring her down as she's trying to stammer over her words. It's like so crazy. And um, he leaves. So then we cut to Rosewood and Axel leaving the station and he's trying to convince Rosewood to help him bust Victor because he says after looking at those manifests the other night, he knows that they're expecting a shipment today at the warehouse. And if Rosewood would just take him to see Jenny. She could let them in and they would catch Victor red-handed and bust the case wide open. And it cracks me up because Rosewood goes, well, I can't do it because Bogomil would kill me. It's like, <laughs> you, you, you just probably get yelled at, like, calm down. You know, he's not, you're not going to lose your job. He'd probably just reprimand you. Like, what the hell? Axel says, look, I, I have a hunch and that's a technique in which crimes outside of Beverly Hills get solved. <laughs> I like that, actually. <laughs> no, that was pretty good because they really did a good job of painting the LAPD as like this by the book, stuck, like like stick up their ass kind of police department. So like, the you Beverly wonder, Hills PD. Well, at Beverly Hills. Different from uh, LA. <laughs> they're basically in the same vicinity. I mean, like LA and Beverly Hills are not that far apart from each other. <laughs> so Rosewood caves and tells Axel he'll help him and they go to see Jenny. In the gallery, this is the other scene with Serge. Axel introduces Billy to Jenny and Serge standing there. And Axel just goes, yo, Serge, <laughs> you mind getting Rosewood and espresso? Like there's a callback to that earlier time when he offered him an espresso with a lemon twist. And Serge's response is like, oh, he goes, is it any, if, as long as it's no trouble, Rosewood says, if as long as it's no trouble. And Serge goes, no, don't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, why isn't he in this more? That's the last time we see Serge. He should have been in it so much more. I love Serge. So Jenny tells Axel Victor was there asking questions. So Axel says he needs Jenny to get them into the warehouse. And she wants to go with them, of course. Here we go again, putting herself in harm's way. Axel says that's not a good idea. <laughs> He's right. So Jenny grabs her keys and says, basically, tough shit. I'm coming with you because it has to do with Mikey. So she's super passionate about finding out who killed her friend, I guess, is why she doesn't worry that she's putting herself in danger of losing her job or her life. I feel like at this point, the only reason she could be justified by doing this is because of the fact that Victor just came in and literally creeped her out, uh, yeah. like giving her like the, you know, big daddy vibes, you know, that kind of sinister villain vibes <laughs> <laughs> up to no good. He was kind of looking at her like like hungrily too, like several times. Like the, you knew that they were, and I know they insinuated that there was a relationship going on, but it almost felt kind of like a Shang Sun uh, Sonya kind of relationship. If you just kind of kept wondering, like, why is there a sexual relationship between these two people? Like, yeah. how, how is she able to do anything with them without like getting creeped out by the mole? <laughs> I would not be able to take my eyes off of it. It would be too distracting. I would not be able to work for the man. That would be terrible. So the three caballeros here roll up to the warehouse. Axel tells Rosewood, sit tight. And if anything happens, I will come and get you, I swear. And he and Jenny go in. What I didn't understand was this was pre-easy cell phone days where everybody has cell phone. He's like, I'll come out and get you. Where if, if it was now, it'd be like, I'll text you if there's a problem or I'll call you. 
but he's just like, I'll come get you. Well, if you're in the middle of a problem, how are you going to stop? Hold on, bad guys. I got to go get my backup and let him know something's going down because he's out in the car. I was like, what? That's a terrible idea. That is a good point. It feels like there should have been a better plan. Of, hey, if I'm not back in 15 minutes, um, check on Something. me. Yeah, like that. There, there should have been a better plan, especially with Rosewood, because I feel like Rosewood is so by the book that he would have just sit there. Like the building could have blown up and he just been like, oh, I got to wait for Axel to come back. Right. So inside Jenny and Axel, uh, they find a crate addressed to the gallery filled with drugs and coffee. And he tells Jenny, go get Rosewood. But just then... A man with a gun shows up and says, welcome to the party. So Rosewood is in the dark that something is happening. Outside, he does see, though, Victor and his goon squad roll up. (laughs) This made me laugh so much. And it's such a random thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this as many times as you've seen this movie. So Victor and his, his goon squad are walking in up to the people that are holding Jenny and Axel. And there's a guy to Victor's right, our left. And he's just rubbing his hands together the whole and it's so distracting he's just standing there rubbing his hands and i'm like what is this guy doing did he do that so he could go up oh, there i am see me i'm rubbing my hands to his like friends and family i wonder no i didn't i didn't even notice it that's another thing i have to go back and pick out because i want to see that now super distracting it's bizarre i'm like there's, there's a reason you're rubbing your hands i don't know Trying to show that he's sinister. (laughs) I don't know. So Victor tells Jenny to shut up and they have to figure out what to do about the situation because they see that they've gone into his crate and found the drugs. He tells the goons to take Jenny out to the car. Rosewood sees all this happen and I don't know why he hesitates. He just sits there. He just sits there and watches them do that. And then back inside, the goon that killed Mikey, Zach here, steps up and says... He should have taken care of him in Detroit to Axel and punches him, slaps him. Victor says goodbye to Axel and he and some other goons leave. Rosewood sees them all go out to the car. Why has Rosewood not done anything at this point? At that point, he yeah, he should have realized something was up. But I, I do love the way that he said goodbye too. with have a nice day. And then Axel's like, oh, I'll try. <laughs> I noticed also too here that Judge Reinhold is a bit of a mouth breather. Because back and forth in these last few scenes when they're showing him watching everybody, he's just sitting there like with his mouth hanging open, just like watching everything happen. I'm like, dude, you're catching flies. Shut your mouth. (laughs) I know that's mean, but that's what he's doing. It it works out because he's got like the he's got the best dumbfounded expression. So the goons are beating up Axel. And luckily, Rosewood finally got the stick out of his ass and went inside because he was hesitating. They didn't want to get in trouble. But Axel would have been killed had Rosewood not come in. So I'm glad he does. Technically, he should have been killed because if you think about the amount of time that it took, because I was counting this down. And because I know you do this all the time, like the whole time thing is a pet peeve for you. The (laughs) amount of time between all the bad guys leaving and Rosewood getting in there, Axel should have been dead by now. Yes, But Hollywood time, apparently their clocks run very differently to ours in the real world. (laughs) Rosewood shoots one of the guys, Axel breaks free, and they get away. So Rosewood calls in and gets some guy at the switchboard, and Taggart happens to be standing right there. And he tells Taggart, go to the warehouse address. Foster and McCabe also happen to be sitting right there. So Taggart, I guess, is their boss, too. He tells them 
to go to the address on the paper and figure out what the hell is going on and only report back to me. So I'm guessing he's like a a mid-level boss of some kind. Sergeant or something. But it seems, it seems yeah. kind of weird well, to I me because er- earlier be. they were giving him shit about the whole thing, which I would think you would not want to give your superior any shit. Yeah, that's why I was confused. I'm like, what? But I, maybe they do call him Sarge at one point. But anyway, the guy at the switchboard has an electronic panel that looks so much like the one in Demolition Man. <laughs> And he is able to locate and pinpoint exactly where Rosewood's car is. And they say it's near Victor Maitland's house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is the part where it broke your brain where you're like, okay, movie, apparently we can track Rosewood. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I I thought when I looked it up, I thought they said something like, yeah, that technology did not exist at the time. But, you know, now it does that you can obviously do that. So they were ahead of the curve. Right. Uh, I wonder if, like, did this inspire them? Like, did, like someone like creating the system because they watched Beverly Hills Cop and they're like, "Hey, we need to create that. We should be able to do that." Yeah. I just assume it's all the taxpayers. You know, Beverly Hills they pay more taxes because there's more, you know, more income there. So maybe the more funding got them better advancements in technology. <laughs> Meanwhile, up to Detroit, in Detroit, it's like carrier pigeons or something going back and forth because <laughs> they're so fucking poor. <laughs> So we cut to Axel and Rosewood at the door of Maitland's. They're picking the lock on the security door there. Taggart comes speeding up and hops out of the car and tells Foley to stop what he is doing. And he's under arrest. And Rosewood says, hold on. Axel has been right about everything he said about Victor Maitland and the drugs. So I like that Rosewood is like explaining to Taggart, everything Victor kidnapped Jenny. She's in the house. We've got it. You know, he's totally right about the drugs. So Axel finishes picking the lock and Taggart says, uh, we're not breaking and entering. And I like how Axel says, well, I'm going. So the only way to stop me is to shoot me because <laughs> I'm going in. And it's like Taggart is so torn because he's like, buy the book, do this, buy the book or do this. I don't know. <laughs> what do I choose? I, I, I would say buy the book, do this. And then there's also that little part of like, shoot Axel. <laughs> <laughs> so Taggart says... You're going to get him in a lot of trouble. He's going to, Axel's going to get them in a lot of trouble. And Rosewood says, I don't care. And so then Taggart just says, fine. Okay. Because Rosewood agrees and he's going and he goes, hold on a sec. And he goes to his trunk and he pulls out these giant, like uh, shotguns. Is that what those are? I, I think they were shotguns. Yes. Big old guns for him and Rosewood. Yeah. And then they all go in. So now we get a good look at this compound that they use in a lot of movies. And it's super cool with all the steps and the outdoor uh, pottery and statues and all the plants. And it's just a neat, neat looking house and, and yard. It's gorgeous. And it's, it's one of those places that like, if, if I ever become a drug lord, uh, I want to eventually <laughs> get that place. I think it would be great. Goals, man. You got to have goals. <laughs> so we're ramping up now for the slam bang finish. So the guys in the security room see Axel on their screen They grab Maitland. He calls for more goons to get out there and handle Axel, Rosewood, and Taggart. And I got to ask, another trope. Why is it in most all action movies, in the 80s especially, all the bad guys always had machine guns? I mean, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight when the cops roll up with their pistols and shit. And bad guys always have machine guns and they're unloading on them. It does seem like, okay, they do obviously always have machine guns and the cops seem underprepared to handle that. Always. Um, 
the only thing I would throw out there is that it's like, well, these movies aren't connected. So obviously, I, I, I mean, if they were, if it's like a sequel, like, okay, let's say if like Beverly Hills Cop 3 or, you know, like like Rambo 5 or whatever movie, uh, Death Wish 29, whatever the hell is like out there that's like a sequel in that thing. By that certain point, those cops should know, yes, if you're going to a drug lord's house, bring in bazookas, tanks, semi-automatics, you know, like bring in some heavy powered weaponry. <laughs> Right, they didn't call SWAT like nothing. Yes, I, I mean, like this case, I can kind of understand because I don't think they were prepared. Like, I, they obviously did not take Axel too seriously to begin with, and obviously Victor's got some kind of reputation, so they're not thinking like, oh, he's this huge drug lord and he's going to have henchmen with machine guns, and we should have the SWAT team there. I mean, obviously they're not prepared because by the time the other cops show up, they're like, you see how unfucking prepared they are. Yeah, so Bogomil comes out and realizes everybody's gone in the station there. He grabs the guy at the switchboard and tells him to locate Taggart and Rosewood, and they figure out they're all at Victor Maitland's house. It just comes up on the screen like, beep, 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 like, here's this is Victor's house, like, oh, whatever. <laughs> it looked very, and I, I want to say, I want to say, like, when I was looking it up, it might have been on Wikipedia, I thought I could have swore that they said something like when they were designing that, they got it from... It was either War Games or it was some other movie. Like they got like the whole set from some other movie. Like that was the design. War Games that sounds was like that. that makes sense. Yeah. So it was like that kind of like tracks of like why it looked like that. Because yeah, the whole time until you really brought it up, I never thought about it out of place. That whole thing looks like. Yeah. It's almost like it kind of reminds me of um, Godzilla 1985. The scene just goes completely out of place in the CDs, all these advanced weapons and like technology and stuff. And you're like, wait a second, this is the fucking 80s. This <laughs> shit does not exist here yet. So Axel gets around uh, on the grounds there and finds some stairs and tells Taggart and Rosewood to go around the side. And they end up trying to climb this really big wall where they could have just went with Axel and been right near Axel. Because after this ridiculous Three Stooges style thing of them climbing on each other's shoulders and trying to get over the wall back into the tree it's just crazy and then they finally get over the wall and they're like 10 feet from axel <laughs> I, I love how it, it took them so long to do it and like finally taggart's the first one over and you see how hard he's struggling and axel just looks over and just starts cracking up so yeah axel sees that they barely made it over the wall and starts laughing like you said so more laughs there they are Taggart gets immediately fired upon from a man on higher ground. Axel runs around and gets a couple of shots off and hits that guy. Another man on high ground opens fire on Axel and Taggart both. Rosewood comes running up and yells, drop it. And the guy fires at him and Rosewood gets off one shot and hits the guy. He's a fucking dead shot, Rosewood is. This is like, like when I said earlier about how this hits so many of those 80s action tropes. This is one of those major ones of, in these movies. The bad guys cannot hit shit. You've got a gun that can fire like how many fucking weapon like rounds a second and you can't hit a damn thing. But the good guy with the small little pistol that like probably can only shoot like maybe 10 fucking feet in front of you and he can take out any bad guy in the area. <laughs> I was immediately when I was watching this thought about He-Man that we covered when they're all in the um, alley and he's like, duck and they're all super exposed and the bad guys are firing on them and they don't hit them <laughs> that's exactly it's what it's just... like this this is like 80s action stereotype Trump. yeah i do like though rosewood comments that he hates machine guns because yeah bad guys always have machine guns in this 
So back at the station, we see Bogomil strapping his gun on and the switchboard guy tells him they're getting reports now from that same location of shots fired. So Bogomil says, put out a 998, which is officer needs assistance, undercover officer on the scene. So I like that, you know, Bogomil's finally going to step up and help in some capacity here. You were waiting the entire time for him to become the badass, especially because, like you said, you watch the other movies he's in and you're like, you know, are you just going to stand there and be an officer in charge or are you going to get out there and get your hands dirty? So Taggart and Rosewood are just walking and they get fired upon by more men with machine guns. They fall to the ground and Rosewood jumps up and yells, police, you're under arrest. And they fire on him again. So he falls back down to the ground. And there's this scene where he goes like up and down a couple times. It's funny because if you pay attention and this is something else for you, sir, to go back and look at, you see the back of them. They fall to the ground and they're wearing their suits. Their, their suit jackets and ties and all that, right? Uh-huh. We see a shot from behind Rosewood when he falls to the ground the second time. And he's got like a tearaway jacket or something because there's a big open hole in like a strap on the back. It's not his suit jacket. It's like open and it's like a tearaway type of outfit. And then we cut to them being fired on and then we cut back to them again. And you see he's back wearing his full suit jacket again. So in between, you get this one weird shot where he's wearing not his suit jacket. It's something else. Oh, so you'll have to go look for that. Yeah, I wonder why they would have that, like, unless they were they were supposed to do another scene, like maybe something with him getting pulled back and they cut it. Yep, you'll have to go look. It's I watched it like three times because I was like, am I seeing that correctly? Sure enough, the shame on you, uh, continuity person. You had one job. <laughs> like I said, the only thing I can figure is for them to have that outfit on was that there was a plan for another scene. Maybe they filmed it and then they cut it because it didn't make sense. If anything, that would fall more in the editor than like, why didn't you not cut that out and edit it? So that, that's yeah. on you. You, bl- you blame the wrong person. I'm standing <laughs> up for the continuity person. It's not his fault or her fault. Yeah, that's probably right. That's on the editor. But you, sir, you're not as picky as I am. So you didn't even catch it. All the times you've seen the movie, you've never picked that up. <laughs> because I don't notice that stuff. I just go that's in for saying. the fun. I know. Blissfully ignorant. It's all right. <laughs> Police are rushing to the scene and we get to see some cop cars real quick. It'll be cut inside where Axel's looking for Jenny. Victor's right-hand man, Zach, is there. He shows up, opens fire on Axel, chasing him from room to room, and then suddenly disappears. He sneaks up on Axel from behind and gets a shot off, but Axel dives to the floor, dodging the shot. Back outside, Taggart and Rosewood still on the ground, still being fired on. Rosewood is reloading his gun and he says he's been thinking about the ending of Butch Cassidy, where Redford and Newman are almost out of ammunition and the whole Bolivian army is out front. (laughs) And he's smirking like he's kind of enjoying this a little too much. Like it reminded me a lot of Sandra Bullock's character in Demolition Man, where she's super excited to like finally be in some action. You know, I didn't even think about that. It does because, yeah, it's like he goes from being such a like a tightwad, basically, like a stuck up little cop by the book cop to now he's like an action hero. Right. And he's like enjoying it a little too much. (laughs) And Taggart's just like keeps telling him, like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. So Axel's hiding now uh, quietly and dude comes around the corner. Axel puts three bullets in him, killing him. And this was the guy, Zach, the right hand man, the one who killed Mikey. So, you know, Axel's feeling pretty good about that. Yes. And and I just got to say, like, this entire movie, he has been the worst fucking henchman. Like, for a top-level henchman, 
the worst henchman I've ever seen. The only good thing he ever did was kill Mikey. Like that was the high point of his status. And after that, he just fell like dramatically. He couldn't do shit. And on this show, we know our henchmen. <laughs> so yes. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm I'm becoming an expert at uh, like discovering how bad henchmen is and like critiquing them. What are you an expert in? Well, <laughs> <laughs> let me give you my car. Yeah, let's talk henchmen. <laughs> so just then, Victor comes around the corner and shoots Axel and hits him in the upper arm, sending him down to the floor. Axel reloads a new clip into his gun and takes off, but there's a blood smear, so you know Victor can follow that trail <laughs> and follow him. And, and I feel like, like when you see the gun that Victor has, and then the wound that Axel, like that seems like that's a little small. That that yeah, that like gun, it must have just grazed him. Which how you're so close? Yeah, because that gun looks like it should have blown his damn arm off or something. Because that looks huge. Blown a hole through the man's bicep. <laughs> But it doesn't. It like grazes him, I guess. I don't know. But it could. It had to be more than a graze. Well, I don't know. Okay. I'm not going to overthink it. Shocker. <laughs> I'm not yeah, gonna I was going to say, like, everyone right now listening is going to be like, what? What? The what? Fuck? You're not overthinking it? So the two guys from the security room, uh, the one looks at the other and he's all, are you hanging around here? And the other guy's like, fuck no. And they take off running. <laughs> Now, those are great henchmen. And I don't mean like just for the, the villain, but just for yourself. That's how you do it, man. Like, okay, you give your loyalty to the guy to a certain level. But once shit hits the fan, you're like, fuck this dude. I'm out of here. Every man for himself at that point, right? Exactly. I mean, these guys are probably making like minimum wage. <laughs> I don't think they make minimum wage, but I'm sure it's, yeah, not worth dying for. Minimum wage for a henchman. I mean, like you're not you're, like you're low on the spectrum. He's not going to he's not giving you any health benefits. There's no dental. There's nothing going on here. There's probably no vacation time. No dental. So they hop in a van and they're going to get the hell out of Dodge. And they run into a fountain because the police start coming up the driveway. Now, answer me this. These piece of shit little police cars that we've seen, they come barreling through this giant steel gate. They, they just with what cause i mean yeah the the whole shots fired officer needs assistance whatever but to just bust down that security gate and then also how it looked really strong for this little that, car yeah there's no way that cop car was going to take out that gate it's just baffled me i mean this whole scene is just that shit crazy it's just ridiculous between that and then you've got like 50 fucking cop cars trying to pile into this little space and you see them all just crash into each other. This is like some like Blues Brothers shit at this point. Like I'm expecting, that's what like, it reminded the, me of. Yeah, like the way they all hit each other, and it's just like like these cops are terrible. So yeah, huge pile up there. And uh, back inside the house, Axel and Victor are both sneaking around looking for one another. Victor pops up holding Jenny hostage with a gun to her head. Axel goes down to the ground and has a gun pointed at Victor. And just then, Bogomil comes around the corner, standing above Axel, and yells, freeze. Victor's holding Jenny. She takes this opportunity, the whole freeze and distraction, and gives him a nice elbow to the gut and slips away. Good move. I don't know if that would actually work. I mean, if a man's holding a gun to your head, that's risky. But but at that point, I, I feel like that's worth the risk. You don't know. Yeah. You've got At this point, you've got three guns on you. You know you're probably going to get shot at some point. 
They, well, they do. Yeah. Axel and Bogomil open fire on Victor and fill him full of lead. <laughs> it's actually quite satisfying. He's a bad guy that I was happy to see get drilled full of lead. <laughs> and I love the fact that it wasn't just like, you'd think like cops would be like, okay, one or two shots. And these cops were like, no, we are unloading the entire thing into this motherfucker. <laughs> So then a bunch of officers come running up to where Taggart and Rosewood are and they yell, drop your weapons. And the men on the balcony have to drop their guns. And Rosewood is so happy barking these orders at them that they're under arrest and put their guns down. He's like smiling, Rosewood is, from ear to ear. And it's so funny because he looks over at Taggart and Taggart's all, you know, good job. And Rosewood's like, this is great. <laughs> he says, great. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like he's living his best cop life right now. Yeah, it's like he, it's like this is to him. He just peaked. This is the highest. He'll never get this kind of moment ever again as a cop. Like this peaked. Is... So Taggart and Bogomil and a bunch of other officers uh, are there. There's an ambulance. Everybody's milling around the scene outside. We see Rosewood, Axel, and Jenny are all sitting off to the side together. Nobody has attended to Axel's arm wound yet, so it can't be that serious. <laughs> Must have just been grazed, like we said. The chief shows up, comes over to Rosewood and says, what is this man doing here? And he points to Axel. And you just hear Axel say, bleeding, sir. (laughs) (laughs) It's super quiet. I almost didn't hear him say it. So the chief tells Rosewood he needs to put Axel in custody. And Bogomil interrupts, saying he wants to give the chief his report first. You're like, yes, Ronnie Cox, come on in. So then Bogomil goes on this complete uh, rant for like a minute, minute and a half, detailing everything that's happened from the beginning to now, but in a way that makes them completely within the legal bounds of what they did. So basically lies, and he doesn't want to put Axel at fault in any of this, so makes everything look okay on paper, and he says he's sticking to it, that's his story, and that's the report he's filing, and the chief is like, I don't believe it, and he's like, well, that's what I'm filing. (laughs) So (laughs) then the chief looks over at Taggart, who we know is Mr. Straight Lace by the book, never tells a lie, and the chief asks him, is that what really happened? (laughs) And Taggart's like, we get, during during the pause, we get shots of Bogomil, Axel, Rosewood, like everybody was waiting with bated <laughs> breath, like what the fuck is Taggart going to say to ruin this? <laughs> and then Taggart just goes, yeah, what Bogomil said is what happened. Yep. <laughs> and you're like, yay. <laughs> that had to be satisfying for you. It's like it all came together. I love the fact that it's like you, you do see them kind of go from being like these straight laced cops to like by the end of the movie they're they're like becoming axel basically i love that he became such a bad influence on them so everyone's smiling now and axel looks over at bogomil and he goes you were lying your ass off and then he starts laughing we get another laugh so axel asks bogomil for a favor and i like that he immediately says i think you've used up all your favors (laughs) i'm with him on this one Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think he burned through, like, a lifetime of favors at this point. So Axel asks Bogomil if you would please call Inspector Todd for me back in Detroit and straighten things out with him so that I can have a job when I go back. (laughs) And for a minute, Bogomil looks like he doesn't want to do it. And Axel's like, you know, I really like it out here in Beverly Hills. So maybe if I'm out of a job in Detroit, I should just move here and start my own private investigation company. (laughs) And Bogomil's like, no, no. It's fine. I'll call him tomorrow. (laughs) He 
just wants him gone. Yeah, the city of Beverly Hills cannot handle any more Axel Foley. I mean, it's a shame for the fans because I'm sure we would love to have seen a Beverly Hills and private investigator movie. Axel Foley, P.I. Exactly. Oh, I would just get chills and love it. Put put the opening exactly like how Magnum P.I. is, but with Axel and and the Ah. the Axel F music playing. Take my money. I'm in. (laughs) What service is it on? (laughs) So we cut now to Axel with his arm in a sling all bandaged up. So apparently wasn't just a flesh wound if he's got his arm bandaged and slinged. He's got his gym bag of clothes checking out of his hotel suite at the front desk. And while he's standing there, Rosewood and Taggart show up and he thinks that they came to say goodbye. And Rosewood says, well, Bogomil actually told us we have to come escort you out of town. (laughs) And Axel's response is a good chuckle and a laugh. We get a big laugh here again. That's another one. (laughs) As the bill gets presented now for, for Axel for the whole his stay, Taggart jumps in and flashes his badge and tells the guy at the front desk, the Beverly Hills Police Department is picking up the tab for Axel's bill. Uh, what do you think? I think if Axel would have known from the beginning that his tab was being paid, do you think he would have like raided the mini bar and ordered more food than he did? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm still confused how the hell he was going to pay anyways. Like I thought for sure he was going to sneak out of the hotel. So Axel decides since they're picking up the tab, why don't I grab a couple of those bathrobes for my good buddies? So he gets two of those monogram bathrobes and he presents one to Rosewood and tells him, thank you for saving my life. And he tells him he loves him. And every time you get out of the shower, dripping wet for the rest of your life, I want you to think of me and our friendship. (laughs) And then he adds a laugh, another laugh. We get another one. So now out at the car, Rosewood says, you're not going to say goodbye. And Axel says, well, what are you guys going to, you're going to follow me to the city limits anyway. And they say, yeah, that's true. We are. So Axel says, you know, I'm going to stop off and get a drink. Maybe you guys can join me. And Rosewood says, I don't think that's a good idea. We're still on duty, which surprised me. And then it surprised me again when Taggart chimes in and says, I think that one beer is not going to kill us. We we should go. I was like, what? (laughs) He's corrupted them. So Axel gets in his car and he leans out the window and we see him say, follow me. If I get too far ahead, just honk. And Taggart says, well, where are we going? And Axel says, I know just the place. You guys are going to love it. Trust me, which is exactly (laughs) the same thing he said last time. And we get a freeze frame on Axel's smiling face. That's the end. Fade to black. Roll obscenely bright red fonted credits (laughs) with the song Stir It Up playing over the credits. Yeah, the fault on the credits, that came out of nowhere. I was like, damn, this is this is really, really bright. And that's the end of Beverly Hills Cop. So the laugh tally, I took the number and I averaged it. And when you do that for the time of the movie, it comes out to one laugh approximately every three and a half minutes. <laughs> damn. Okay. So wow. you guessed 25. Yes. 33. Oh, And that's what I counted. I may have missed a couple. That's a lot of his laughing in this damn movie. (laughs) But it works too. Like it's not one of those, not one of those things that happens throughout a movie that you get sick of. Like, I I feel like there's a lot of times that they will, they will reuse things in movies multiple times. And you're just like, so tired of it. You're like, okay, we get the point. Pull up the fuck back already. All right. 
anything we didn't talk about since this is your favorite movie that you want to make sure we talk about? There's two things I want I want to bring up. One, did you see the cameo of Martin Brest in the movie? I didn't see it, but I know there was one in there. Who was he? He was the clerk at the end that checks Axel out. Oh, no kidding. The hotel clerk. Yes, the hotel clerk at the end. I thought that was really cool. I never hate that because if I was a director, I'd do the same motherfucking thing. I'd be like, I'm putting myself in here. (laughs) I I don't mind it as cameos. My problem is I uh, sometimes I don't like it when the director starts to kind of feel like they're the star of their film and they show up. Like I think sometimes Shyamalan does that a little too much. Okay, the other thing I want to bring up is there was a line that I absolutely fucking love that we completely missed. Sure. When uh, Jenny and Axel, or I forget what uh, they were going to the uh, going to the warehouse or where it was, where they were going to drive and they were going to take Jenny's car and Axel wanted to drive it. And Jenny's like, no, I'm driving. I've seen your car. And Axel's like, oh shit, that's cold. <laughs> I, I love that line because it was so perfect because it's like, yeah, you can see exactly where she's coming from. <laughs> It was a burn. I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, she's not wrong. All right. So let's jump to three questions. Okay. So question one, did you see both of the sequels? I'm assuming yes. And let's discuss each one briefly because I want your thoughts. And then I want to know how these overall rank for you. Your favorite to worst kind of deal. Like one, two, three, what's your favorite? So okay. uh, let's... Start with Beverly Hills Cop 2, which is a turkey. It has a Rotten Tomato critic score of 46, an audience of 57. Beverly Hills Cop 2 was directed by Tony Scott, who directed Man on Fire, Domino, Days of Thunder, The Last Boy Scout, Crimson Tide. Like he was a top gun. He was a huge action director. So I want your overall thoughts and feelings on two. I assume you've seen both of these. Uh, yes. Uh, three, I, I saw a long time ago, have not seen it in years. Two, two I actually did watch recently. So okay. um, I, I actually, I don't hate two. Two isn't that bad. Uh, it's not, I mean, nothing will ever touch the first one. But I thought for a sequel, it was pretty decent. So did you catch <laughs> in his apartment in one scene, he's got a poster of Stallone on his wall for Cobra? <laughs> Yes, I forgot. And, and like now I want to go back and watch it again because I love the fact that the little tie in to like, oh, OK, because like they even said like a lot of Stallone's ideas from the first one went into Cobra. So it was essentially like Cobra was kind of what Beverly Hills Cop might have been with Stallone. That was awesome. I liked like I said, I didn't hate it. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't great. It wasn't as good as the first one. Uh, Brigitte Nielsen wasn't too bad in it, I thought. She's also a Stallone hit- tie, which is funny. Yeah. And, and she's always been hit and miss with me. Like some of her stuff I enjoyed, some of her stuff I didn't. She's like an icon again of the 80s of like the tall, gorgeous blonde. We had another villain from another country, Jurgen Prochnow. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it Basically, it felt like they were following the story of the first one in a sense, but they just changed it up a little bit. Because instead, uh, instead of Mikey, it's uh, Ogamil that basically gets Bogomil shot. gets shot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. which is funny because to me, for a long time, uh, when I rewatched it, I've only seen it a couple of times. I thought he died. So that's kind of why I went in hating it and then realizing like, oh, no, he didn't die. He just wasn't in the movie that much because he got shot. So So did you like that Taggart was back? Everybody, everybody's back in this one. Uh, I Um, missed Jenny. I didn't miss Jenny. 
I, I, I did a little bit because I liked the dynamic between the two of them. I like I would it would have been nice that they would have brought Surge back, but I, I can see why they wouldn't. They don't need him. Yeah. To me, the second one, you can tell the look and the feel of it. There's barely any comedy and it's more serious. You can tell it's probably what the first one would have been like had there been no comedy. Also, you can tell different directors' eyes and aesthetic for things because the movie starts with that reddish yellow hue to it, very reminiscent of, you know, Top Gun or Armageddon and these these big action movies that have a certain color that coats all the shots. It's very gritty and more of a cop story and and the villains are, you know, doing this serious thing and there's hardly any comedy in it. And it's like, it's like, it's a completely different feel. Each one of these three movies feels different. Yes. The first one is a great mix of action and comedy. And then this one is just like serious action movie. Basically, Tony Scott was like, I'm making one of my fucking signature action movies with this shit. It just felt like a different movie. I I, I don't hate it. Like as an action movie yeah. going in, it's cool. But if you're going in expecting it to be Beverly Hills Cop, you're let down. And I think that's why the first time I ever saw it, I was let down because yeah. I was expecting it to be what the first one was. What I did like is that they make it a point to hit home that Taggart, Rosewood and Axel and even Bogomil all stayed friends and they go on like yearly fishing trips together because the time that elapsed between these two pictures being made was like two and a half years. So they make it seem that they've been good friends all this time. Which after you go through all that stuff in the first movie, I believe it. I believe they would stay in touch and be friends. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that they, there was that connection because it, it you needed that to like, why the hell was he going to go back to Beverly Hills? So right. that made sense to have it be, uh, you know, he gets shot. And so okay, his friend basically, again, stealing the plot from the first one, but it made sense. And the, but again, that's like the dynamic wasn't the same, even though. They were all still good friends. The dynamic in the first one was so natural, I think, because yeah. it was so ad-libbed. And with this one being such a Hollywood production, like polished kind of picture, it lost the grittiness that you enjoy in that first movie. So then you saw the third one, but you said it was many years ago. It came out in 94, which was another six years or so after the second one. And it, it's rotten for sure. It's a turkey. It's got 11% critics and 35 audience. So what are your thoughts and what do you remember about three? I can barely share my thoughts. The only thing I do remember was it wasn't as good. I remember even the villain plot, like everything about it just felt forced. I almost expected this to be a direct to video movie. It was that bad. I felt like it shouldn't have been made because I missed John Ashton. Like I believe he died before this movie had come out or maybe they just killed the character. But I remember Taggart did not come back and that hurt the movie so fucking bad so he didn't die he just was unavailable character not coming back was terrible one thing i noticed was um i watched all three of these this week in preparation for the show so john landis directed the third one which shocked the hell out of me but again it's a completely different vision all these movies feel different they don't feel like a cohesive trilogy but John Landis, everybody knows him from American Werewolf in London, but he worked with Eddie Murphy previously two times. Do you know what movies those were? I don't know both of them, but I want to say one of them was Golden Child, wasn't it? No, sir. It was Coming to America and Trading Places. Okay. So he had worked with Eddie before. And the plot of this one is he follows somebody, 
So Bogomil gets shot in the second one. He goes to Beverly Hills. In this one, some villainous shit happens in Detroit and his boss, Inspector Todd, gets shot and he follows the trail back to California to Wonder World, which is supposed to be basically like Disneyland. Instead of Walt Disney, they have Uncle Dave. But the thing about this that I thought was funny was there's a little George Lucas cameo when Eddie goes to, uh, Axel goes to get on a ride and he cuts in front of some people waiting in line because he's in a hurry to get away. And it's George Lucas and somebody else. And they're like, oh man, I guess we'll have to wait for the next one or something like that. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, that's George Lucas. Like how random. (laughs) They do that a lot though. I've noticed movies that do, like when they do a plot based in Hollywood and like they're going to happen like like on the Hollywood set, there's always random cameos because I think it was like Scream 3 had Jay and Silent Bob in it. There's like a couple like movies that do that. And I always find that hilarious that you throw in the most random people in these scenes. So also the thing about three for me, uh, I enjoyed was there was more comedy uh, than two had had, which I was let down by two for that. Uh, But the problem is it's oddly timed in, in three and it's not the best material. The things I did appreciate was Serge is back really long, weirdly long scene with him. And they left it long and left it in on purpose because they had so much footage to to take from because it's just a bonkers scene when they're at the gun show or whatever and he's got all these crazy weapons like futuristic weapons and shit and he's like i work at the gun boutique or whatever it's called (laughs) so it's this great thing with surges back because they knew what worked and we get we even get a little get the fuck out of here no i cannot like we get the surge stuff we wanted into and didn't get uh hector elizondo comes in to take the place of the tigert ish role of the more by the book serious cop. And for a while, you don't know if he's dirty or not. And I like him as an actor. So I was interested because I'd forgotten how that movie plays out. I was really enjoying the, the amusement park stuff. There was a whole bunch of it. They really used the hell out of their set. Um, they used the earthquake ride at Universal Studios to fill the alien invasion attack ride or whatever. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there inside. And I like all that. But the one thing I wanted to point out the most that that you maybe didn't pay attention to this because it's been so long since you've seen it is Rosewood's evolution through the movies. And they let Judge Reinhold speak up and say, hey, I think my character would be this way or that way. And they listened to him. John Landis listened to him. Rosewood is this green behind the ears, eager to see some action cop in the first one, right? Uh In the second one, he's a little bit uh, more of a superior. He's worked up in the force a little bit. And he's playing things a little bit fast and loose like Axel. And he's evolving and learning his place, how to be a good cop. And then by the third one, he's in charge of his, whatever the special force division that they make up and put him in charge of. So his character through all these years that these movies take place progresses, which is what would normally happen. He's not stuck in the same place, if that makes sense. And I liked that about that movie as well. So a lot of three worked for me. So I wanted to know from you, how do you rank these? What's your favorite to least favorite? Now I'm going to have to go back and watch three. So at at this point in time, going off of what I remember of it, it would have been one, two, and three. Okay. Um, Now, like I said, I'm going to have to go back and watch it. So there's a possibility it's going to switch up and be one, three, two. Okay. Because that's what it is for me after rewatching them this week, one, three, two. Two okay, is so. very action movie, boring by the book kind of thing compared to one and three. 
Okay. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of down to try it again. Uh, give it another shot. I just remember as a kid, I was disappointed, but to be fair, as a kid, like I was disappointed by all of them because if it didn't, if it wasn't number one, I wasn't going to like it. I'm the same way with the back to the future trilogy. You know, one is such an iconic movie that like anything after that to me never lived up. Now I'm a little bit more appreciative of the other movies. See, for me, those go the same ranking. It goes one, three, two. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, yeah. For, for, for me, that is how it is with me as well. One, three, two. Two, I cannot, I, I'm not going to say I can't stand it, but the part where it goes to the alternate timeline and it's darker really slows the movie down and, and hurts. It. Uh, and now I can kind of see that's probably how it's going to be with uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Of like, okay, once I see three and how fun three is, the darkness of two will probably pull me out a little bit. Yeah, you can 100% see that in number one, you could not pull out Eddie Murphy and drop Stallone in there and have the same movie. In two, you absolutely could pull Eddie Murphy out and drop Stallone in there and still deliver the same movie. It's so Cobra-ish. Yeah. Now that you bring it up, I do remember, like, I didn't laugh as much in two. Like, there was a couple right. of lines in two that I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. That's, that's, that's not too bad. But it wasn't like one. Right. Which is fine. But when you're following up such a hit, a comic hit. Yeah, that was that's a tough. Uh, I was gonna say, I think that's the problem is that a lot of the, the times they don't realize the formula that makes these movies so great is what you needed to follow. So like the second and third movie, you should have done what you did the first one of just say, fuck it, let's let them ad lib. Let's let them kind of make the movie up as you go along. They tried to correct that with three. Because I watched a behind the scenes featurette of casting and shooting with John Landis and the casting director and, and all the actors and stuff that they could get. And they tried to correct a lot of the, the right the wrongs <laughs> that two did in that way. They obviously three is three. It's not one. You can't recapture one, but they try harder. <laughs> and the things we loved from one, they try to put them in there. You know, um, yeah. the last thing, though, about three that I want to mention when you're going to rewatch the villain straight white guy from america just a regular dirty businessman in america doing his thing it's not some foreign entity <laughs> well no of course not because we made it to the 90s and now the 90s are it's straight white businessmen are the villain yes because... so but you know what though i will say his henchman his right hand henchman dean stockwell with an amazing porn mustache <laughs> oh my lord oh, <laughs> giving mean, his best dean. face i love dean stockwell anyway so that's yeah a, i'm telling you awesome. revisit revisit three revisit three I, I will do three this weekend all right so question two beverly hills cop for the movie is in pre-production set to hit netflix what are your thoughts on this do you know anything about anyone that's involved it's in limbo right now due to the strike obviously but it is in it is holding in pre-production so i can tell you who's involved or we can just you can tell me your I, thoughts first. The last thing, I mean, like I heard that they were going to do it and I, I and it dropped off the radar for me for a long time. And at the time when they were talking about it, I remember hearing they were going to bring in like he was either going to be mentoring or he was going to have a kid in it or it was going to be something to do with it. they were going to be sort of passing the torch to a new generation. I think at the time, the Crystal Skull was, people, learn your lesson, Hollywood. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I thought I heard Nick Cannon at the time. I mean, but this was a few years ago, so he was hot at the moment. Now, I don't know who they've got in which roles. So Jerry Bruckheimer is back as producer. He he skipped number three. He was a producer on one and two. Again, that's another reason two has that 
action movie feel because Bruckheimer was involved. He was not involved in three. So they're bringing back Bruckheimer. The writer is somebody named Will Beale, who I guess wrote Aquaman. Uh, The director is a guy who did commercials. This is his directing movie debut. His name is Mark Malloy. I mean, it is a straight to Netflix movie, but do you want to trust a Beverly Hills Cop movie with some guy who only does commercials? Well, at the same I don't time, know. Martin Brest was pretty new when he did the first one. They, they said like War Games was True. his second movie. So True. But we are getting back Eddie Murphy. These are people who have confirmed, signed on. Eddie Murphy, Judge Reinhold, John Ashton, oh. Paul Reiser, and Bronson Pinchot. All the favorites are back no ronnie cox yet but he is still alive and working so who knows they also have signed on joseph gordon levitt and kevin bacon i'm wondering if they're going to be the villains maybe why is it i can see joseph joseph gordon levitt being like reinhold's kid being like (laughs) rosewood jr i don't know why but i can totally see that and kevin bacon as the the big bad kevin bacon's got to be the bad so are you excited for this? A little, a lot, not at all? <laughs> I'm intrigued. I mean, like That's I wasn't, my question. I, I wasn't intrigued when I first heard it because like I said, at the time there was talks of Nick Cannon, like being the guy to take over because for some reason, Nick Cannon was like poised to be the new Eddie Murphy. I don't know why I don't get it with him. <laughs> the only thing I see with him is basically he's just a baby making machine. So <laughs> That's why he's um, got to keep working. See like Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Exactly, because it's like he's like following. he just walks down the street and he impregnates women instantly. But I, I gotta admit, like I'm a little bit more intrigued. I might get more intrigued after I see three because I just childhood memories of three were not fond. So now that I can go in a little bit like wiser, older, more mature, you know, my head fresh out of my ass, maybe I will enjoy this movie <laughs> a little bit more. Uh, uh, I'm surprised by because I could have swore in this in the third one they killed Taggart. I thought they no. wrote him off or something. So, okay. He's so just, he didn't die. He's just not in it. They say that he retired. Rosewood um, did at the beginning okay. of three. Yeah. They say he's retired living in Arizona. Or I forget what they say, but he's not. Yeah. He's still alive. Okay. So, okay. Question three, Beverly Hills cop. The first one, the one that we just watched. Does this movie make you want to see Beverly Hills or Southern California? Do you want to go there and, I mean, I'm sure it's a little different now, but probably not much. <laughs> uh, I have been to Southern California. I've been to L.A. Um, oh, what was your impression? Uh, it wasn't bad. I actually went with uh, my girlfriend at the time. She wanted to go for Halloween Horror Nights. So we did that and we kind of went around uh, like the strip a little bit. It was pretty fun. I remember we went to the Beetle House. That was a really cool place. She had a really fun time. The only only bad experience I had is anyone who knows me, like actually like physically hangs out with me, knows that I am just the most easygoing, laid back person. And I will walk down the street, head bob, smile, just be polite to strangers. How how you doing? How's it going? And I tried doing that in L.A. And apparently not everyone in L.A. wants to be acknowledged because there was some guy that I did that to. And I swear to God. He looked at me like he was going to jump me and rip my face off with his teeth. <laughs> All right, cool, dude. I'm I'm not um, gonna do that anymore in L.A. Uh, do you remember I mean, when this was? Like th- this was in 2018. Oh wow! It was just before COVID. Um, okay. And because uh, it, it wasn't that long ago, it was it was a fun time though. I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed Not Scary Farm was awesome. You know, the Halloween Horror Nights, the Simpsons World, I got to see. I got to found out I was too fat to ride the roller coaster for the Harry Potter ride. 
that was fun. Wah, wah. <laughs> so I, well, I want to say uh, when I moved, I was born and raised in Southern California and I was about um, almost 19 when I moved to the Pacific Northwest where I am now. And in the early 90s, when I moved, I remember even back then it was shell shock because just like you said, everybody is not rude really all the time, but they mind their own business in California. Like people want to just be left alone. They're not openly as friendly as they are here in the, in the Pacific Northwest. So the first time I went to a grocery store when I first moved here and the cashier's like, how are you doing? Did you find everything? How's your day? Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Well, how's that going? And like, just talking to me and asking, and I was like, what the fuck is, am I in the twilight zone right now? And people on the street nod and smile and say, how you doing when they pass you when you're walking? I'm like, where the fuck did I land? Mars? <laughs> it was it, shell shock. Because in California, yeah, that doesn't fly. Yeah, I, I've heard that about New York, too. That New York is a lot like California. That it's it's just you kind of keep your head down, ignore everyone around you, <laughs> mind your own fucking business. Um, yeah, if, if you make eye contact, it's like dogs. They take it as a sign of aggression. <laughs> like, yes. Don't make eye contact with people on the street. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of feel like like I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to visiting the South. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I think the people there seem like they're really friendly and stuff. But I, I would be terrified to go to New York because I just I have this recurring fear that I will walk in. I will like walk down the street and come across that one homeless guy who's like furiously masturbating in front of me. And we'll lock eyes. I'll be like, oh, shit, is this going to be like a contest? Are we going to see who finishes first? Like, what the hell is going to happen? Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, but, but you, when you were in LA and doing all, you know, the, the theme parks uh, tour and all that and having fun doing all that, you didn't make your way over to Beverly Hills. You weren't curious, this being your favorite movie, to like pop in City Limits and check it out, go to like Rodeo Drive and stuff. Well, I mean, like, I, I would have loved to if it was me in charge of the trip. But like, usually whenever I go anywhere, it's somebody else in charge. And it was my girlfriend at the time. And she probably would have beat the shit out of me. I mean, she was a very abusive woman. She'd come out of nowhere and just slap the shit out of me for, you know, just for the hell of it. So so this is why uh, she's an ex. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. I she kept God, you I'm... from your dream of going <laughs> through Axel Foley's steps in this movie. You couldn't follow. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, well, I don't think I would have been able to do the exact same thing that Axel did. I mean, the moment that I set foot in Beverly Hills, it would have been like, you know, uh, invasion of the body snatchers. Everyone would have looked at me and realized I didn't belong. Like, wait a second. He's fat and pale. He doesn't belong in California. Get him the fuck out of here. Give it six months. You would have fit right in. We got you <laughs> slimmed down. Nice big tan on your body. <laughs> all right, well, that is going to wrap up our discussion on Beverly Hills Cop and all things Axel Foley. So if anyone out there is interested in watching this movie, all three of the Beverly Hills Cop films are actually currently available on Paramount Plus, also with the subscription on Amazon Prime. So you can watch all the movies and judge for yourself and rank them for yourself. We would love to hear from you. Which one is your favorite? Which one is your least favorite and why? Let's chat about it on socials. Come find us. Listen for the tags at the end. So I want to thank you, sir, for joining me today and bringing this non-turkey to the turkey verse. Axel Foley is now part of us. <laughs> and we want to thank you all for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. <laughs> hey, listeners, Movie Miss here saying we know you have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. So we want to thank you so much for listening to ours. 
Please make sure to find us on our socials and join us. Be part of our bad movie conversations. We want to chat with you. We're on Facebook with an official page as well as a Let's Talk Turkeys discussion group where you can talk with other like-minded individuals who like bad movies. We're on Instagram at Let's Talk Turkeys. Our Twitter handle is at Gobble Podcast. That's G-O-B-B-L-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And of course, you can always email us direct. We would love to get suggestions from you of movies you would like us to cover. If you want to be a guest on the show, we would love that. So directly, that's Let's Talk Turkeys, all one word, at yahoo.com. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.